Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Today is Sunday, December 20th. Bowl season is upon us. Clemson's filling the 2016 and 2017 depth chart with five-star recruits, and life is good. Uh, welcome back, guys. I'm happy to have y'all here during the holiday season. I uh, wanted to give you a quick breakdown for what to expect in the next couple of weeks leading into the college football playoff game. Um, today, we're recording a bit of a 2015 season breakdown episode. We'll touch on recruiting updates as well. Um, and we also, on the back end of this show, have an interview with Shaking the Southlands' own Ryan Cantor. Uh, so I hope you, you guys enjoy this one. Uh, midweek, we're going to publish an interview with Shaking the Southlands' recruiting guru, uh, Quacking Tiger. Um, so we'll hit you guys up for some Q&A on that one. Um, we'd love to get all your burning recruiting questions answered um, from Quacking Tiger. And then next week, as we get into the, you know, the crunch time before the Orange Bowl, um, we're, we hope to get some interviews with some Oklahoma guests. We've got a couple of those in the works. Uh, so stay tuned for that. And then lastly, a couple days before the game, we will publish our Oklahoma preview um, episode right before the Orange Bowl. So stay tuned for those. We got three or four episodes coming out. Um, as always, you can check out our archive on SoundCloud or ClemsonPodcast.com. Uh, we publish those also to ShakeInTheSouthland.com. We appreciate those guys putting us on. We're out there on Twitter and Facebook, so check us out um, if you've not done that yet. And um, again, we appreciate you telling all your friends, you know, sharing the podcast um, wherever you can. Um, so for the most part, you know, for those who've been listening to us all season, um, this has really been a football-oriented podcast. Um, it's been two weeks since our last game. We don't really play for another 12 days. So normally you would look at this as a down period, but... Um, you know, fortunately, re recruiting is never really over. And over the past couple of weeks, we've managed to pick up some big names. So, um, Cody, you're generally our in-house recruiting guy. Um, any highlights of the last few weeks you wanted to touch on here? Well, it's been one of the best weeks probably in Clemson history. Um, and keep in mind, yeah, like you said earlier, we're going to have Quacking Tiger on later this week to do like a further examination analysis of what just happened. But it's it's what happened was amazing. And it started with Dexter Lawrence, five-star defensive tackle. We talked a good bit about about him and how, how much that commitment would mean to us. And getting that, just, you know, this guy is, I mean, he's number two in the rivals, you know, top 100, number two overall. And the guy is a foundational piece. You can, you can build a program on these type of guys. You can win championships off of these type of guys. You have Christian Wilkins to put him next to, and at least for, you know, two more years, maybe three if we're lucky, you got you got really just an unbelievable interior line that is going to just make opposing offenses just have to game plan through different you know different ways. Um, but then you know, in addition to that, we well, let me stop you there. I was going to ask you know we a year ago, 2014, knowing the type of defense and pedigree of talent we had there. Two three years from now, do you think these guys can compete with the likes of Grady Jarrett, um, the others in the interior of our our defense? Yeah, that's good. I mean, I mean, not to. This is we appreciate Grady Jarrett and Sean Williams and Josh Watson for everything they did, and they were they were very good. But they came in as for the most part three star players. Uh, I think Josh Watson was four star. 
they over overperformed their rating, and we were so happy to have them. And these guys that work so hard, we're bringing in guys that are five stars now. That are yeah, the the level has been raised, and it's going to be even significant over when Grady Jarrett was a senior. That's how good this defensive line can be. So yeah, it's going to be better. And when we see teams like this year's Alabama team, just what what they did to disrupt Florida. If you watch that SEC title game, I think that's what that's what you get when you see five stars all throughout that front. Exactly right. Five stars combined with with really good, if not great, coaching. Then you're talking about we can take this away from you. What else you got? And then hopefully we'll have answers there too. Uh, good good stuff, of course, on the defense. How about on the offense? Yeah. So obviously, I think it's been it's made a lot of headlines. The five star commitment, Hunter Hunter Johnson, who is a Tennessee commitment. All of a sudden, he comes to Clemson. He, well, he gets it. He gets the um, his he gets the offer from us first. He gets his mom on the phone, dad on the phone, or whatever, and he says like, "Let's go to Clemson." They made the trip. They made it within a, like I think two weeks or maybe even a week. They come to Clemson. He decommits from Tennessee and he commits on that trip. Like unbelievable. That that for one that just goes to show how much the Clemson brand, how much weight that carries. But also what this means for our program is just absolutely huge. This guy watching him on film. I, I, I'm sure I haven't seen it. I'm sure people have made Aaron Rodgers comparisons, but that's the first thing that stands out to me because he's got he's a he's a you know got a 90 mile an hour fastball of an arm, and then he combines that with like he's not your dual threat typical you know zone read type quarterback. But if you watch him, it says he runs like a four five forty. You can see his legs. Got some mobility, right? He's got a ton of mobility. He's but, no Cole Stout. And as of now, I mean, again, he's got a full season left, but he's a top quarterback coming in, in that class nationally. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's special, and it's just another piece. And then what was kind of odd, but again, it, it goes to show that these, these types of things happen when you become an elite program, is Chase Bryce, a, a high four-star out of, out of Loganville, same place Wayne Gallman and Robert Kimdichie came from, he commits to, to Clemson. He was kind of our guy in that 2017 class. And even with Hunter Johnson, a five-star ahead of him, committing, he, he commits that next week, realizing there's only one spot left on that quarterback board, you know, knowing that Clemson's going to take two QBs. He's like, let's, let's go ahead and secure my commitment. I mean, he, it kind of reminds me of the, uh, the Willie Korn, uh, Kyle Parker days when you had, like, really two high-profile guys. But uh, it's Hopefully a, better. <laughs> hopefully better, yeah. Those guys are solid, to be sure. But, um, you know, higher hopes maybe over here. Yeah, exactly, and just just two great commitments. It really solidifies or it solidifies that quarterback position. We have Kelly Bryant looking like he could be. We, there's still some questions there. Could be the the quarterback of the future though, with a certain like Cam Newton pedigree. You have Zare Cooper, a four star dual threat, more than the Deshaun Watson mold coming in next year. That that's very exciting. And then and then after that in 2017, you got you have these two guys. So. Things are looking good at the quarterback position. I mean, you might see some some uh, transfers. You might see guys decommit. I hope not, but I think for the most part, we're, we're looking, we're feeling pretty good about that position. I think in addition to these signings or these these uh, you know sort of they've not signed yet, but they've announced intent. Um, you've also seen previous commitments uh, sort of move up the the relative ranking board um, throughout throughout what rivals and those guys put out. So, is there anyone that? Um, previously has been committed to Clemson that stood out for you as you know improving in either their senior or junior seasons coming in yeah you look across the board and you see a lot of guys moving up in the rivals ranking and you wonder if that's the Clemson brand pushing them up knowing that hey if if Clemson's going after them then they must be good maybe that's part of it maybe it's because Clemson evaluated them properly better than the actual recruiting analyst 
And I think that's probably has more to do with it because I think Cornell Powell is he's one of our was one one of our first uh, offers from the wide receiver position, but never cracked like a a top two fifty list for both ESPN or Rivals. Well, all of a sudden, you know, he's looking really good in his senior year. Clemson's got, you know, has their pick of the litter when it when it comes to wide receivers. In the Shrine Bowl, just this last weekend, he really stood out. And, you know, I knew he was good. He looked very fluid in, in his in his routes, and he looked like a just a really like the kind of receiver that you'd want to have. But he's got an element of explosiveness that I, I didn't realize that he, that he had. And, and, you know, looking at him in the Shrine Bowl game, he returned, a, a, I think it was a kickoff for a touchdown. This guy is a stud. And, he, you know, Clemson knows what they're doing in terms of talent evaluation. They're not just going to offer any wide receiver. They're going to offer the best. And now this guy is a top 100 guy, I mean, according to Rivals. And it seems like in the past we've had certain receivers come in. And obviously, as he comes in, he's going to be further up the rankings. But come in from outside that top 100, top 200. Is there anyone in recent memory that Powell might remind you of from a profile standpoint? Not necessarily you know, like for like talent, but you know, anyone that fit that profile, a bit underrated coming in. We developed them, and they're doing great things. Well, yeah, I think I would say New Hopkins would be the would be that guy. He came in as like a high three star, low four star, right in our backyard, and, and you know, in Central and Daniel High School, and all of a sudden, you know, this guy is you know amazing. But I think in terms of what he offers from like a just a, a skill set standpoint, I think he's a little bit like Sammy. I, I think he might be more of a crisp route runner, more of a prototypical typical receiver, but less explosiveness. You know, who has more explosiveness explosiveness than Sammy? But I think that's what you get from this guy. It's that guy that he's going to play the two, um, that that uh, you know that type of uh, wide receiver that you can throw it to him every possession, and he can make things happen after the make things happen after the catch. You know, I guess the rich get richer when it comes to receiver for Clemson as well. Um, anyone out there still that we're we're trying to track down? Yeah, I'll make a sh- you know short bit on Sean Smith. I feel like Quacking Tiger will probably probably have a little bit more uh, there. I feel like he's now a heavy Clemson lean. If you, if you don't know about him, he's a five star. Outside linebacker, originally committed to Clemson, decommitted, wanted to check out you know, LSU, I think Auburn, and Maryland. And now it's looking really good for Clemson. Um, but the guy that, that I'm looking for is, is Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary is a defensive tackle out of number one player in the whole class. He's out, out of New Jersey. We've talked a little bit about him. And he, he's on a radar. He's always been on a radar. But what has me optimistic about this guy is Brent Venables is, is the guy that's recruiting him. He's the main recruiter. And Brent Venables, you know, he really has like this rifle focus. He doesn't recruit, a, you know, a lot of guys where he's the sole recruiter. But when he does, when Brent Venables sets, sets his mind to something, he usually makes it happen. And you saw it last year with Christian Wilkins out of Connecticut. A lot of people thought that Wilkins was going to go to Penn State, heavy Penn State lean. Well, he comes to Clemson. And I'm very anxious to see what they do with Rashawn Gary, a defensive tackle, but the, he could also play the strong side defensive end, and I imagine that's what Clemson staff is selling him. And let me just say, if, if, if he did come to Clemson, probably a small chance right now, has, has a chance of growing. If he came to Clemson and put him with Dexter Lawrence, Christian Wilkins, all these other guys, it would just be unbelievable. Like you, you would, It would be one of the best defensive lines, I would think, uh, not just in the ACC, the nation, and maybe historically. It would be that good. And we, we do have that chance, and I think it's interesting. I mean, you mentioned um... – Christian Wilkins recruited out of Connecticut. Uh, you got Rashawn Gary now from New Jersey. It seems like Clemson is focusing on the Northeast a bit. We had Ebo from New York previous to that, um, who unfortunately did not pan out. But it seems like a new territory a bit. I know we've maybe focused a little less in Florida with the next recruiting class, but 
Um, I think we only have one commit at this point from Florida next year. Um, if I, from Chris Ard released a piece to that effect this week, but um, yeah, it's interesting. Any thoughts on kind of the, the newfound focus in the Northeast? I think it's it's more it's it's less of like let's target that geography versus like let's target let's pinpoint certain guys and I think that what you're seeing the on on the field success is is meant that we have to spend less resources like putting our name out there casting a wide net we have we have some guys you know coming to us and we can secure those commitments early now we have we have money we have resources now we can pinpoint like what five star guys we want to we want to go after. We have a, a better plan. We, we're one of the best in terms of like recruiting staffs in the, in the entire nation. So uh, when guys commit early and you already had that foundation, then it's like, hey, let's find the Rashawn Garys and the Christian Wilkins. And that's what, it, that's what it's been able to allow us that freedom with those resources, the Brent Venables, to pinpoint those certain guys. So that's, that's what you're seeing. So you sort of hit your, your doubles early and you can go for the home runs later. Right. Uh, good stuff. Well, I feel like... We'll certainly hit up Quacking Tiger to touch on these and other updates. Um, I'm sure he's got a ton of anecdotes from the recruiting trail to give us. But um, for those of you guys that have burning questions that we haven't touched on in this this piece here, um, please hit us up. We'd love to ask Quacking Tiger on your behalf. Um, you can shoot us a comment in the Shake in the Southlands um, on our post. Leave a comment there. Hit us up on Twitter, or you can send us an email um, if you'd like. ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. So any, any questions you've got, we can do a little mailbag for Quacking Tiger if need be. Just wanted to take a minute to talk about our um, podcast sponsor, SeatGeek. SeatGeek is a great service which offers you the best prices and seats for sporting events and music concerts. And as a listener of the podcast, you'll get a $20 rebate on your first ticket purchase with SeatGeek. Just install their app from the App Store or Google Play Store and enter the promo code PODCAST in the settings tab. This code also works for your first purchase on their website, SeatGeek.com. How does it work? These guys search major ticketing sites online um, for all events and, and ticket prices, um, and they bring all these prices to you, so you know you're getting the best deal shopping for these tickets in one place. Um, and they've got seats for the upcoming Clemson men's basketball home games up at the Mon Secours Wellness Center in Greenville. Uh, Clemson plays Florida State, Louisville, and Duke just after the new year. Um, they've Obviously, also got um, NFL and NBA um, tickets for the teams up in Atlanta and Charlotte, um, as well as concert tickets nationwide uh, for artists like Adele and Bruce Springsteen. So to get $20 back on your next ticket purchase, head over to SeatGeek.com or install the app. And don't forget that promo code. That's podcast, all one word, uh, to get your rebate. And last thing before we move on to the season recap, um, let's touch on... Um, some of our beer selections tonight, Cody. Uh, looks like we're drinking two different beers here. Uh, the first of which is from the Flying Dog Brewery out of Maryland. I think that's in Frederick, Maryland. Um, it is the Fire Dog IPA. So this one's 7.1%. Pretty solid IPA. Um, we went with the Maryland one this time from the East Coast. Uh, my buddy who went to Johns Hopkins recommended this one. So I'm pretty happy with this beer overall. I mean, I think it, it stands up to the uh, West Coast IPAs. The other one we've got, um, total different curveball here, but it's an, yet another one from the Oklahoma Prairie Ales Brewery. Um, I think that's actually the Krebs Brewing Company, technically. Um, we had one on the last show I had with Ben, uh, but this one we're drinking there, Prairie Flare is the name of it. Um, it's kind of like the office space um, flare from their knockoff TGI Friday. They've got a, a guy's shirt, tie, and vest which with a bunch of, of pins on it with some crazy stuff. 
but this is a ghost type beer. Um, it's a German style. Basically has like you know heavy citrus notes, little salty too on the finish. Any any thoughts on this one, Cody? So it's not it's not, it tastes like a sour. Is it not it, It's not considered a sour. Not like a it's not a quote unquote sour beer, but I agree with you. It it's similar. Yeah, and if that's a thing out on the East Coast, I would like to know that because <laughs> in the, it's been a big thing in the West Coast. Not sure if it's if it's resonated there and to the same level. Yeah, sours I feel like are sort of the antidote to an IPA. Like, you know, people who don't aren't really into hops, they want to switch it up, go with the sour out here. Um, I find myself in the middle of the road, try to drink like, you know, um, pale ales, those kind of things, when I'm not feeling like a hop bomb. Yeah, no, it's it's a good beer. I like it. Interesting stuff. I, I'm seeing a lot more of these prairie beers lately, and they're definitely distinctive as you see it in your case. They've all got crazy logos. So, again, we're drinking what the enemy drinks. I'm not sure if Oklahoma fans all drink you know, these craft beers from their, their home breweries, but um, we will ask them in an upcoming show. Um, well, Cody, let's move on to the 2015 season recap. Um, certainly, you know, with the benefit of hindsight here, we can go back a bit, react to the season, um, you know, talk through how things shook out for Clemson and, you know, really just put everything in perspective for ourselves and for our listeners. Um, so, you know, needless to say, um, Clemson finished the season 13 and 0. We went number one in the college football playoff committee rankings wire to wire. Um, our first ranking was released right before that Florida state game. I almost feel like that was a ranking that, um, they put out there for us to live up, live up to when we played Florida state. We certainly did, and I think we did enough down the stretch to to maintain that and to hold on. Um, Clemson won the ACC. That's our first um, victory since the 2011 season when we defeated Virginia Tech. Um, Florida State's won all the ones in the interim. Um, so, Cody, how do you feel like we we achieved this? You know, certainly, you know, we should take a minute to to pause and appreciate this. But how did this happen? You know, if you maybe could, if you were talking to Cody from um, our preview episode. You know, how did we get there? Well, what's funny is if you go back to our preview episodes, I mean, we were all across the board. Uh, we had we had a lot of opinions, and I think what we thought in terms of when we looked at offense versus defense, we thought the exact inverse would be true. A lot of Clemson fans and media thought the same thing in that the the defense losing nine starters would take a while to to build up and and, and to, you know get their wings under them, whereas the offense would come out firing. You know, Mike Williams, Artavis Scott. Obviously, Deshaun Watson, you know, it's going to be a historically good offense. Well, what we saw was a progression, which is crazy, uh, of the offense improving all year. You know, Mike Williams going down early. Deshaun Watson looking rusty at the beginning. And then to the defense, the flip side, like them looking amazing at the beginning, like very little drop off to what we think now, and we'll talk about this later, is fatigue throughout the course of the season. But... We can say this: the th- first three quarters of that that Notre Dame game, our defense looked like a, a top five, if not the best defense in the country. Yeah, and from an overall season standpoint, uh, we ended up in the S and P Plus Advanced Stats rate rankings, the number six overall defense. Um, I think we talked about it in the beginning of the year. Our best case scenario was sniffing the top ten or even you know top twenty. We would have been happy because we considered the offense to be kind of a top five, top ten elite unit. Um, we ended up being really decent on offense. We ended up at number 10 um, overall in S&P Plus on offense. Um, and I think it took all season for us to get there. Um, we had something like seven or eight weeks in a row with 500 or more yards total offense um, that, that got us there. But you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, I think it, um, it did take, it was kind of a tale of two seasons from both sides of the ball. Um, unfortunately, you know, 
both of our our units were able to put together enough in all of our games to get through um, without a loss. Um, I think another thing that goes you know goes maybe un- underappreciated here is how the team handled injuries this season. Certainly did not have a great start with Mike Williams going down after his you know first and only touchdown catch. We thought that was something. I think we touched on it right in the the recap of that game. That could cost you in some games later on where you need to score points. You're coming down from a deficit. Those kind of things. Um, and that you know again how we reacted with with our depth at wide receiver with Deion Kane stepping up, um, getting contributions from Hunter Renfro. Even down the stretch, Jermon Hopper was very impressive as a receiver. I think we did really well reacting to those injuries. And then across the board, we were banged up a little bit across both units, um, defensively and offensively, but never to the point where that really cost us. I think it challenged our depth, and we'll touch on fatigue here, but I think that did. that's ultimately what it cost us was a bit bit more strain and stress on the starters um, and on guys having to you know come up and, and fill in. But we, we didn't have anybody go down beyond Mike Williams that really hurt us for the whole year. What was interesting to me was we all we all knew coming in depth would be an issue. It wasn't the, especially, you know, on defense, really. Uh, we, we knew it wasn't the same 2014 defense or that had just, you know, guys coming in next man up type mentality. Uh, we were going to be thin. And at, even at the wide receiver position, we weren't thin. We had talent. We had answers there. But there, there are, I think, coming in the season, probably four, maybe five guys that are just irreplaceable. And one of those guys was Mike Williams. You, you can't replace his production, what he gives you, red zone, uh, that big body. We just don't have that that same guy uh, in, in, on the depth chart. Losing him on that first drive on a touchdown, no less, uh, it was just a bad feeling for me. Like, and it seems it was like ominous, right? Like terrible omen. It, it that's what it felt like. It felt like a terrible omen where you know one thing bad happens, a lot of things are going to follow, right. and that was not the case. You know, we have two more games left. We're knocking on on wood or glass right now. <laughs> right. But uh, it I feels think, like we cashed in our, our bad luck, I guess, mm-hmm. with that with that play. I and hope again. so. That's I, that's what I'm thinking. And then uh, I'll say this: the, the 2013 version of Florida State that had one of the best foot college football teams ever, in my opinion, had incredibly were incredibly fortunate from an injury standpoint. So if they were that that were you know that fortunate, we can be the same. And I, I don't you know it, it's all good. Yeah, I think another area of of how we got to this point also was play of our freshmen. And first-year players also, um, guys with um, Ryan Cantor in, on Shaking the Southland did a good piece on experience, times, you know, talent, and star ratings coming in, and how we stack up to Oklahoma. Um, I actually feel like you would have thought we would add an experience disadvantage on the offensive line, especially coming in. We basically turned over that entire unit, and that was one of the you know if there were weak links on this team, we pointed to the O line, and they they played admirably all season. So. Um, Touchdown freshman, I think none better than Mitch Hyatt in terms of his performance this year. Um, would you give him your you know game ball or MVP among the freshmen, Cody? Yeah, that's a great question. And I would say not only do I give him the game ball, I'd say he was our most important freshman. As good as Christian, Wilkin, Christian Wilkins, as good as uh, Ray Ray McLeod, Deion Kane, as good as those guys were, Mitch Hyatt was our MVP on, in terms of freshmen, and it's really not even close. He was so important for us. Uh, he stepped in. He was better than Isaiah Battle probably ever would have been as a true freshman, which is just unheard of. So, yeah, incredible. And I think when we looked at the preseason and we looked at our offensive line, that was definitely a point of concern. And we looked at it by piece, by piece, by piece. And, like, this guy concerns me, this guy concerns me. The one thing that we really didn't account for was 
how they would gel together. And I, it's something that you don't know because you're not there, but there's something in that locker room. There's a culture there. Those guys have banded together. Deshaun Watson is probably part of it. It's, it's a culture there that we, we, you know, we can't, it's not, you can't see it on the, on the, on the stat sheet, but that, that's what, that's, that's what's happened. And that's why you've seen this improved play from the offensive line. Yeah. And I think there's two sides of the injury story. There's, you know, he who did not get hurt and those that did that enabled guys to step up and for units to gel. And I'll, I'll come up with two examples here. Number one, Ryan Norton went down um, and Jay Guillermo needed to step up in the center spot. You know, already we were worried about um, thinness of depth and talent um, on the O-line and Guillermo stepped in and had a phenomenal year at center. And I think really solidified our offensive line as a unit. Communication was great. Um, they were able to, you know, really push teams around, um, including, you know, really aggressive Notre Dame front. Um, so that was super impressive from that, that side of the ball. And then, um, I think on defense we saw, maybe this wasn't as much a, um, an injury, but a departure from the team. DJ reader, um, did not start the year with the football team. Uh, that's where Christian Wilkins, um, was able to come in and really establish himself as a true freshman and get a lot of reps. So sometimes, you know, you could call it addition by subtraction with some of these guys. Certainly, we want all of our players to remain healthy. But uh, those were two injuries that you could look through a lens benefited Clemson in terms of outcome. Yeah, I would say so. And, and Scott Pagano was another piece of that, you know, getting those reps looking good. And a, a piece not just for now, but for the future. Christian Wilkins is a stud. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of things worked out. And then looking at like guys like Shaq Lawson and... Um, it, in, in, in the other part of the line, Kevin Dodd, just guys getting a ton of reps, uh, unbelievable. Like their little production and, and the little and the and the small margin of drop off from 2014. Real quick, Cody, let's touch on some of the thoughts coming into the year. We when we broke down our schedule, I think we looked at there's one stretch we always refer to as the gauntlet: uh, the Louisville, Notre Dame, Georgia Tech, three weeks in a row. Uh, granted, um, between Louisville and Notre Dame, we had a, a bye week, but uh, the, we, we always thought that was gonna be the hardest stretch of our year. If we can escape that unscathed, you know, that would determine the ceiling of this team. Uh, maybe unfortunately, I don't know how you want to look at it, but, um, our opponents didn't really live up to their billing preseason. Um, Louisville coming into that game was actually 0-2. They had lost to Auburn and Houston, um, before playing Clemson on a Thursday night. And, um, you know, Houston ended up having a great year. So that win or that loss to Houston, maybe not, isn't as embarrassing as, you know, once thought, um, Auburn, in the meantime, has completely fallen off the map. But um, I think Louisville overall kind of above average. Um, but it was still good to get that road win in a tough spot, you know, overall. Um, Notre Dame, though, that was one. I mean, they were ranked sixth at the time. It was easy to label them with the overrated tag. Uh, but I, I think they proved themselves all year as a, a worthy top 10 team, especially impressive when you consider all the injuries that they sustained. Yeah, I think, you know, for Louisville, they were better than the first two, first three games for them indicated, and that was a that was a tough Thursday night game. We we passed we passed the test, and we were better. We are a much better team than we were in the week three of the season. So I feel like we we beat them by a small margin, but still a very significant victory. Notre Dame, yeah, you're right. We definitely had them under peg. We were looking at that Georgia Tech game, the one after, as probably the toughest challenge. That was supposed to be one of their best Georgia Tech offense, maybe in the history of of Paul Johnson's. Yeah. Triple option attack uh, with Justin you know, Thomas looked un- unbeatable in the first month of the year. Exactly. Yeah, he looked. Yeah, they had him pegged as you know he was. I mean, he really is a dangerous quarterback. But we had no trouble with him. Notre Dame was better than we expected, and 
I, I remember, yeah, looking at those three games and really, when, you know, looking at it on a more macro level now, those three games are really insignificant. The only game that was significant really was that Notre Dame game in terms of, uh, you could say the same for Louisville a little bit, but mostly the Notre Dame game was, was really tough against a really good team. We also talked about not wanting to overlook the tough two-game road stretch. Um, we handled Georgia Tech. We handled Boston College and their their vaunted defense this year at home. Um, then we went on the road, and we went to Miami. You know, Coming into that game, there were tons of smack talk on Twitter from the Miami faithful. You know, We're back. They played some pesky games coming into that. They lost a close one to Florida State, but certainly looked like they could hang with Clemson, especially at home. It was a noon game You know, for traveling team. Those are always tough. And we took him to the woodshed, 58 nothing. That was really the moment, I think. I mean, I think, you know, against earlier against Georgia Tech and Boston College, we'd gotten our offense going. But that was the game where we just hit the turbo button. And from then on, I think our offense really took over for this team to take nothing away from a defense that let up zero points against Miami. Yeah, well, I think we punched them in the mouth and they, they, never, got, they never got off the ground. So, yeah, that, it, there were a bunch of friends probably top 25 teams you look at like Louisville they, they didn't they certainly were getting that ranking in week three after two losses but they were they're a top 25 team or they're hovering right there Miami is a, they're not not as bad as that 58 the nothing you know score would have indicated uh, NC State eh. but at the same time we played some good teams that had had a chance to make you know make a game of it and yeah you're right that Miami game was kind of like hey we've arrived unfortunately we've we've we arrived and then we got really tired <laughs> directly right right after that game yeah, that was that was the one that launched us from the number six spot to number three in the country. Um, you know, NC State again. You mentioned it. That was where our defense started to show some fatigue. Credit to NC State; they've got a pretty high-powered offense. They've given a bunch of teams some some trouble this year. Um, but those were those were t- games that took some stuff out of us. Um, and then we hosted Florida State. I mean, this was this was the national. Um, you know, it wasn't the game day game of the week, but we certainly got the the eyes of the nation on Clemson. And I would call this one our most complete game. Um, the way we, after a you know first two drives, they were able to pretty much move the ball on us. After then, our defense adjusted and really shut them down. And I think our offense took over the game. It took took some time to do that, but um, we got drives and plays when we needed it from Deshaun Watson and, and our, our crew. So um, anyway, Florida State was one that I think legitimized that number one ranking from the previous week. I totally agree, and I think we only we only beat them twenty three to thirteen, and that's almost like a mark against us, or it was at that point in the season. Looking at it from a national standpoint, but that Florida State team was really really good, and I think even as a top ten team now, they might be a little bit underrated. They took the SEC East champion, just demolished them in that in that you know interstate rivalry, and that's a that's a good team. It's a young team. And it's something to be worried about in the, in the coming years, but that, that's one heck of a team. And you're right, we showed a very balanced attack. Aside from that Dalvin Cook, you know, what was it, 75-yard uh, touchdown, you know, our defense was dominant, and our offense went against a very good Florida State defense and, and almost surgically picked them apart. Thank you, Deshaun Watson. That, that was another, like, coming-out party for him, like – our, our our main guy, our best player, Deshaun Watson, is he's work. He's a magician. He's making it happen. Couldn't agree more. And you know, I I probably think back on some of the the mistakes or the moments where um, you know things that might have either dinged his Heisman candidacy or either put that game at risk. Like you know, at the end of the first half, there um, kind of mismanaging the clock, and we had to take a field goal instead of having one more shot in the end zone. Could that have been a 30 to 13 game? Could that have been much higher scoring? But 
you know, again, we had several moments like that throughout the year that didn't end up costing games. And I think that's where um, heady play across the board and focus really kept our team, you know, in the win column. Um, but Cody, I mean, you know, we took care of business against Wake, Syracuse, South Carolina down the stretch. Um, where would you put that North Carolina game in terms of our toughest opponent? Most Obviously, it's a very important game. But um, where would you have, you know, stack ranked that in the pecking order um, in terms of toughest games and most impressive wins? I think I think it's our most impressive win, and I, you know, feel free to dispute that on the on the comment section of uh, Shaking the Southland. Notre Dame was probably our most complete team, maybe the best team that we faced. Florida State's probably the most talented team. Uh, that North Carolina game, in my opinion, was the toughest the toughest one that we came out of, and we came out of it alive. And I think it's for one reason because we we faced a really good offense with a lot of playmakers. And, and guys that, you know, they did score a lot of points. Our defense, though, and, and that, at that point in time, was so gassed. We were hanging on for life. And I think we could have beat them by, let's be honest, we could have beat them by a few touchdowns, and we should have. But fatigue, fatigue is a factor. We um, played three quarters of dominant defense and took Marquise Williams out of his element, shut down their running game, um, and really had that game put away. Uh, but, you know, good teams like North Carolina don't, don't lay down, and they did come back. And I think, to your point, that's where fatigue set in a bit. I, I think so. I mean, I think it had a lot to do with fatigue. And, but, you know, what, what you know, really stood true and, and the, the thing that's, we've seen getting, that's improved the whole season is Deshaun Watson. He was at his best. He was at a Heisman level. He proved he was the best player in the nation, in my opinion, in that game. I'm sorry, running backs are great, but you're talking about, talking about the quarterback position. It's the most important position in the game. Yeah, you know, for I don't have to explain why that is. <laughs> he proved why he's the best player in the game. Zone read, he looks amazing. Offense was incredible. Our defense had a little bit more left in them, like you said, in that game, and I think they they brought it to the table. Thank God we're getting four weeks of rest right now, though. That was the toughest game that we we were able to escape, in my opinion. Yeah, and I I feel like this, and it's obvious, it's in the playoff. Oklahoma takes it up, ratchets it up one more notch. And I think the, the rest is going to benefit us quite a bit. And we'll certainly touch on that in our preview episode coming up. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've, we've kind of gone through the schedule here, gone through keys of the season. Um, in a recent interview, we sat down with Stephen Godfrey from SB Nation. And one of his points of advice kind of going away was, you know, savor this as Clemson fans. And um, before we started recording, I pulled up kind of the, the past 10 seasons of Clemson football both from a record standpoint, the bowls that we, we made it to, our results in those bowls, um, some of the kind of not just win-loss record, but what was the kind of narrative of these seasons? And, you know, if you go back 10 years, jump in the time machine, this is the, the twilight, if you will, of the Tommy Bowden era where we could not get over that eight, nine win hump. Um, 2005 through six, you know, those were years where we're just right there. We're just a couple couple wins away, but other teams in the ACC had their time. And, I think in that era, we had some really stellar recruiting classes coming in. I mean, you could throw out the names of talent there, um, but that's something we just never really got over that hump. And that's really why ultimately in 2008, we transitioned to Dabo Sweeney. And um, I mean, Cody, you go back and talk about being positive about this transition. Um, For a lot of Clemson fans, that was in question. It was, you know, why aren't we going out and trying to get a splashy hire during this era, you know, Alabama went out and got Saban. Who could we get? Those kind of things. Um, but I think, you know, as we look down the stretch in the most recent years, the beginning of Dabo's era, 2010, six-win season, um, we went to the Car Care Bowl. We lost that game to South Florida. I would say, I mean, 
you know, just based on numbers, that's clearly the low point, probably the last decade. And for a lot of us, you know, our Clemson, probably a lot of our, our Clemson um, fan experiences. But I think it, that was really where Dabo, um, you know, realized, you know, he needed to bring in, not help per se, but he needed to get, um, it took some humility on Dabo's part to go out and hire the right coaches to help turn this thing around. And we started to see that with Chad Morris in 2011. Um, that year, though, we had the West Virginia game in the Orange Bowl. And that's where we made a transition from Kevin Steele um, to Brent Venables. And we've had this trajectory since then, um, you know, that's been been incredible. But we talk about how hard it is to get from, you know, you can be a French top 25 team at Clemson. A lot of coaches could come in and do that. We have the, the facilities. We have the fan support, uh, administrative support to always be a top 25 French team. And I'm not saying that it goes without work, but Tommy Bowden was hanging around that top 25 level, eight win, seven win, maybe even nine win in some cases. He hung around there for nearly a decade. We desperately and based on schedule, you know, we could we could eke into the top five a couple times. You know, I, know, I remember we did. Yeah, no, and maybe yeah, some good fortune. A year stacks up where you might have some things go your way. Yeah, you're, you're squeezing into the top ten, right? Whatever the case. 2008, we thought that was the year. It was the culmination of players the the depth chart looked right and we saw what happened seven and six got blown out by alabama we desperately wanted to get to that that elite fold i think what you saw was the maturation of Dabo sweeney us giving him a little bit of time not all of the clemson fan base some of us wanted him gone not me <laughs> i'll say that but he he got his own players in he got a chance to you know punch in the mouth he, he um billy napier was our offensive coordinator he fired one of his best friends who was also our also our offensive coordinator? Fired him and you know brought in Chad Morris, grand slam hire. The next year, Kevin Still, a renowned defensive coordinator, fired him. Brent Venables, two like knock it out of the park, uh, you know hires. So it, that that's what happened. That's what that's how you cut into you know friends top twenty five to like hey we're top fifteen now. How do we become elite? That that's how you do it. You do it with great hires and and obviously great leadership through Dabo. And I think what the era immediately following that showed was we took that leap. We took that leap into basically the top 10, top 10 range, you know, getting into the 10, 11 win mark um, in 2011, 2012, and 2013. And I think those years were full of, chock full of like, you know, top five, top 10 recruiting classes. Uh, we were able to get the talent, but ultimately we would lose to Florida State. And unfortunately that was part of the streak, lose to South Carolina. Um, I think to have to get over that hump and not have that occur, you not only need that talent, you not only need the coaching, but you need you need basically your defensive team to come together at the same time as your offense. Um, you need eras to kind of align and, and get to that point. And I think this year we were actually expecting, we touched on it, we didn't think the stars aligned. We didn't think our defense was really going to stand up to the type of talent and skill we were going to bring on offense. Um, and I think that is where superior coaching can come in. And we did have a depth of talent from previous recruiting classes to get this team um, to where we needed to be, to a top, what was it, basically a top six defense. Yeah, they well, they say, you look at like talent versus coaching, and we know how important coaching is. We've seen it through Brent Vittables, through Chad Morris, and how they've kind of just revived or uh, created a, a new identity for both our offense and our defense at certain periods. But they say 80% of this job is talent acquisition. And you, you mentioned we've had, we did have some good recruiting classes, but really we hovered in that top 15 category, maybe even top 25 for so long. Now we're in the top 10, even top five level. 
and it, it makes a world difference. So you're not waiting for those, you know, proverbial stars to align or whatever, where the defense is, you know, top, you know, top defense every one in four years. The offense is top de- uh, offense every one in four years. Maybe they'll align at the same time. Yeah. Well, we're bringing to the table, you know, both, both sides of the ball uh, every other year, perhaps where the stars could align. And that's what LSU's done. It's what Alabama's done. It's what Ohio State's done, you know, so on and so forth. That's how you become elite. That's how you win national championships. Yeah, I think we, we can look to the coaching staff and what the team, um, what goals they set and what, what they expect um, coming into the year. So most of you guys are aware the team in the West Zone facility has up on the board five goals for the year. Win the opener, win the division, win the state, win the conference, win the bowl game. And, you know, Dabo has talked about, we've done several of these things in isolation different years. When you start to line these up, it's going to be a really special season, and we, we can win this whole thing. And I think that's what's come together this year, obviously. Um, you know, the one point we'll make here, though, is, you know, we're, we talked about our recruiting class looking good. You know, we're very confident about the future. Seems to me like we'll have our, our coaching staff intact for some time as well. Um, so, yeah, the future is bright. You know, and, and I think as Clemson fans, we always want to expect more. We expect greatness. We keep our eyes kind of on what's yet to be attained. But I think now is a good time to take a look back on that recent era and those, you know, eight, nine win seasons, even those two lost seasons, you know, where we could not get over the Atlantic hump. We could not win the state. You know, we did that this year. And I think we need to look back at 2015 and we will as that's just a special year as a Clemson fan. And for me, by far and away, the most successful season. And it's one that I'm going to remember forever. Absolutely. Yeah. Enjoy it while it's here. I, I've talked, I made the comparison to the, the, the title window that a lot of both like professional and college, like where you feel like you have this long window, we can win a championship. You know, I, I compared it to the Oklahoma City Thunder with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. I compared it to your Cleveland Indians back in the back in the 90s with all those like those, that amazing offense, historically good offense. It didn't come to fruition. So like live in the moment. Enjoy now. Like we could win a championship. Don't don't wait for next year. Enjoy it now because you never know what could happen. Hell, we could have won a. We were good enough to win a championship last year if we had had a good quarterback. So keep that in mind. Uh, you know, one Deshaun Watson injury could you know, obviously derail everything. Yeah, I mean, on the on the you know the plus side, the side that indicates that this will keep happening. You know, we've got winning culture, the notches in our belt, and the experience, knowing what it takes to win and go undefeated. Coaching and talent, we touched on that, but you know, if we look around us, the ACC just got tougher. When, it's, when you talk about coaching, presumably talent's going to follow that. Um, you got SEC quarterbacks transferring out of there. Uh, and, you know, I think win or lose against Oklahoma, next year we're going to be playing with targets on our back. And that's that can be tough week in, week out. Um, you can ask, you know, certain teams that do that every single year. Um, we've, already know, number, we've already got a preseason We've already got a preseason number one ranking um, from Saturday Down South, an SEC uh, website. So they've already given us the preseason number one in 2016. So you're exactly right. We've never played. Clemson's never played with a target on its back. And look at Ohio, how Ohio State handled it this year. So and Florida State last year, like it's it's yeah. it's tough to do. So um, you know, again, we're gonna enjoy it, but understanding that you know there's a lot still to accomplish. There's a couple more accolades we want to want to achieve and. Um, we're going to give those their due respect, but you know certainly this this Christmas season, this holiday, um, I'm going to take time to you know savor some of these wins, read through the Deshaun Sports Illustrateds, and you know save the covers and all that stuff. Um, Cody, any kind of highlights or parting thoughts about the season? Maybe I can ask you like, who's your MVP of the team this year? Probably pretty obvious. Well, we can say aside from Deshaun Watson, yeah. so enjoy him as well because like. 
Uh, we compared him to Andrew Luck. Actually, you know, I compared him to Andrew Luck. I went on a limb and said, I, I think he's a, a generational talent on par with Andrew Luck. And I think what he proved this year is that is that actually that's true. We just wanted to make sure he was healthy. I think we all knew he could get there. Um, so aside from him, though, I, I look at Shaq Lawson on the defensive defensive line. I think he's uh, right there with Dequan Bowers in terms of uh, being a you know next level player, probably even better than Vic Beasley in, in everything that he brings to the table. So enjoy this guy. He has one, maybe hopefully two games left. Um, so that, you know I'll give him the game ball on the defensive side as well, and give him all the all the credit in the world for just shutting down that whole side of, of, of the defense. You, you can't run the ball his way. Yeah, I'm going to cop out here and actually give my kind of game baller accolade to Brent Venables. I think the job that he and his position coaches have done to develop first-year players and also guys that have never started um, into, again, a statistically top-six defense is just incredible. And, um, you know, we can lay a lot of that at his feet. Also making the the scheme calls and you know, taking away offense's key, key talent, you know, is all, all Brent Venables. And, you know, we're so lucky to have him. So, um, you know, I ride with Brent Venables. It's pretty, let's get his son's commitment. Let's get him here for seven more years. And I think we'll be in great shape. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, well guys, that is all the time we have for today. Next up, we're going to, um, catch up with Ryan Cantor here. Um, hope you enjoy this interview. All right. Welcome. We are joined today by Ryan Cantor, senior writer at shaking the Southland. Um, you can find him on Twitter at, at Ryan underscore Cantor. That's K-A-N-T-O-R on Twitter again. Uh, Ryan, welcome. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? We're good. Thanks. Um, this is Nick. I'm joined today by Cody um, over here on the West Coast. And I'm uh, glad we could catch up. Um, interesting time at the moment for Clemson. We're on the doorstep of the college football playoff. Um, but before we get there, there's obviously been, obviously been a lot happening in the world of Clemson hoops. Um I understand you're you're headed to Athens for the game. Um, what are you looking for in particular in this game against Georgia? You know, I want to see if Dante Grantham can be a little bit more aggressive, not just shooting the ball. He's so he's so talented and he can create his own shot, but he settles and he ends up taking more three pointers than two pointers. Um, and, and, and he's shooting well, but we need someone who can create create their own shot, and that needs to be him. Um, so that's that's one thing I'm definitely looking looking forward to seeing. No, that's I, I compare Grantham to like a poor man's Harrison Barnes. If you remember North Carolina, like back in the day when he was there, they wanted him to be an All-American. He, he could never get there. It wasn't like part of his – he didn't have that like Kobe Bryant mental makeup. I mean, do you feel like Grantham will ever get there, or is that just like an element of youth? Like what's your opinion on that? I mean, I, I'm, I'm optimistic that he'll get there. Um, I'm pulling up now to see how many more threes that he's, he's shot than two-pointers. But he, he takes more three-point shots than two-point shots. But the thing is, he's shooting them pretty well. So at some point, especially when when Blossom game's gone, assuming that um, Grantham's here after that, he's he's just going to have to be the go-to guy, and he can't simply be a spot-up shooter. Because he could be a decent spot-up shooter that plays quality defense and rebounds, or he can be our best player. So um, I, I'm still optimistic. It's, it's still very early in his career. He's gone through the ACC once. Right, and to what degree do you feel like that's a matter of maybe some impatience on his part, or do you think he feels rushed a bit by some of the rule changes in terms of shot clock? Do you feel like that's coming into play at all here? No, I don't think you can blame the shot clock. In fact, I'll just say, you know, I I was very much against moving to a 30-second shot clock, probably biased because I thought it would hurt Clemson. Boy, it makes the the game just so much better. Um, I've noticed that particularly against South Carolina, it seemed like Roper would – 
slowly walk up and then just dribble and just waste about 12 seconds <laughs> for no reason. And, you know, that used to be 15 sec- seconds and it used to be every possession. Um, so I do think it's making, making the game more fun. Um, they don't seem rushed if they're walking it up and not really starting the offense until burning 12, 13 seconds. So I, I don't think you can blame that. Yeah, I think coming into the year, there was concerns like Brownell's style, if how that will mesh with this new, you can say, I don't know if you want to say like up, up or a high pace type offense. I mean, it's only five second reduction, but it, we have seen like better, a better product on the court. I'm curious your opinion on, I think we come, we came into this year, we were hoping to see guys like, like Grantham take, uh, take a step forward, uh, Gabe DeVoe, um, Jordan Roper. And really, aside from Boston game, we really haven't seen guys take that step forward. Do you think that goes to coaching? Is that is that just a talent issue? How do you feel about that? Well, you know, I think you forgot one guy who, who I think is taking a tremendous step forward. We talked to uh, Jerome Blossom game in the preseason, and he called this guy out. City City uh, Jete. He, he's been awesome. He's shooting – um, his effective field goal percentage is 71%. Um, I guess he shot no three, so that's just his field goal percentage, 71% from the field. He, he's been awesome. He's a great rebounder. Um, you know, he's obviously still still fouling a lot of people, 7.2 fouls per 40 seconds, but uh, 40 minutes. But um, he's been great. He's, he's recently um, been inserted in the starting lineup in Sunoco. So, I mean, he's progressed. Um, I think Grantham looks better. Um, I know he's still too much of a spot-up shooter. Um, and, and the number that I was referring to earlier, he shot 459 three pointers and only 38 two pointers. Um, but he's making more of them. So he's improved. Um, so I, I don't know if I would blame the coaching too much for the lack of development, at least not quite yet. We still have a lot of, a lot of season left. Yeah. And I think we're going to need to see how ACC play goes. Um, but that being said, you know, there's been a couple of disappointing losses most recently. Um, what are you taking away from the Alabama and the South Carolina losses? How disheartened should a Clemson basketball fan casual or otherwise be? watching those two games i mean i think you had to win one of those to even even pretend to think about for a second making the ncaa tournament and the the georgia game is almost like an elimination game this early for us i mean um at this point i would just be happy to make the nit um we haven't beat i think the the best the worst team we lost to was minnesota they're 128th in ken palm um and we haven't beaten anyone as good as them so i mean we've beaten just very bad teams. No one in the top 200. Um, I think this Georgia team will be very, this Georgia game will be very telling. I mean, if we lose to them, we've we've lost to every team with the pulse. And and you know my original projections of you know eight, seven, eight uh, conference wins. It's going to seem really uh, overly optimistic at that point. Well, I wanted to ask you about the ACC because you know I haven't been able to dive in as much into basketball as, as I would have liked. But uh, it seems like you know the, the typical top heavy ACC, but for the most part, it's it's been like seemingly down. Uh, how do you feel about like getting recognition once you're in that conference schedule to try to you know try to make up for what you did during the out of conference schedule? Well, I don't know that we're the best conference. I think the Big Ten is seems like they're stealing that that mantle from us, which is kind of surprising considering the Louisville and uh, Syracuse and even Pittsburgh editions. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you go five, you look at NC State last year. If you go 500 in the conference, everyone's really impressed, and you can make the tournament. But, you know, if you uh, lose to all five even semi-decent teams you play in the non-conference, you probably have to do better than that. And that's that's probably unrealistic. Ken Palm projects us to lose. Um, I've got their page pulled up. I, I can't even count how many there are without taking a second. It's got to be at least our first 10 games in conference. Yeah, maybe in the meantime, as you look at that, um, we'll talk about Brad Brownell here. In, 
I think you, you've written about this and we've read this from Jay Ingles as well. Looking at the, that outlook for this season, um, understanding we are playing our games, our home games up in Greenville. Um, we felt like he, Brad Brown, out, regardless of outcome this year, might have a two-year window to sort of figure things out and get the Tigers into the NCAA tournament. Um, considering, you know, new facility at Little John coming up, he's going to bring some more recruits along. He's got transfers coming in. But, you know, based on out-of-conference play so far, do you feel like he might not get that chance at a 2016-17 season? No, I feel there's almost 100% chance he's back next year. Um, his buyout, I believe if he gets fired this year, um, is $5 million, which for Clemson basketball coach is just, is just kind of asinine. Next year it drops all the way down to, I believe it's $3.5 million. Um, and then it doesn't really drop much after that too much. So next year is kind of your decision point. If you can't make the tournament with them, next year when you have a senior blossom game, um, you've got all the pieces are really there. Next year, the roster kind of peaks. If you can't make it then, maybe it's time to go ahead and move on. Um, financially, it would make the most sense at that time. Um, but I don't know how you just eat $5 million for a basketball program that, that doesn't make all that much money. And that's just building a new facility as well. So let, let me ask you, like going with your gut right now, do you think we will make the NCAA tournament in 2016-17 next season? If you had asked me, you know, a month ago, I would say, oh, yeah, I'm just I was really optimistic um, and, and I want to stay optimistic because, you know, this is the coach we have. and This is the program we have. And regardless, you know, it's not it's not a situation where you root against your coach. and He's going to get fired. He will be here next year, almost certainly. Um, but I don't know if uh, another year of experience is going to be the difference maker. Um, I definitely think they'll be better, but I don't know that I would pick them to make the tournament anymore. And I would have, uh, if you had asked me a month ago. Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, I mean, I, I think for, in terms of Clemson basketball, like obviously the, I need to look at what attendance numbers have looked like at the, at the well, but I understand from some of the writers that were there, it looked a little South Carolina heavy recently. There could be a number of factors there, um, you know, based on it being in Greenville, kind of the holiday season so you might not necessarily have as many students around to go to games but um do you think in any way that's negatively impacting the team doesn't really have that home atmosphere home court that they're bringing to the table this year um and i think as a fan i'm sort of able to give the team a little bit of slack there from a home home court advantage standpoint um but i don't know of the home home court games you've seen do you think that's a factor or do you do you wish the team is doing more to promote student involvement and attendance I, I think that's a really fair point um, that maybe I overlooked. But I, I went to the Wofford game. Um, it was the day after we won the ACC championship in football, and there was a pizza party that day. I know I got there a little late. I think most people preferred to go to the pizza party. I didn't see hardly any students at the uh, the basketball The basketball game was shortly after the pizza party, so it was hard to make it there in time. Um, very little um, stu you know, students making noise. Overall, it was, it was kind of boring. Um, Probably the worst atmosphere I've seen for a game. Um, you know, I, I went to Little John, you know, hundreds of times probably. Um, so, yeah, I, th I think that's a fair point. And then you also consider, um, you know, the student athletes are, are crunched for time and they're wasting, say, say 40 minutes each, um, each way for a game. So you're, you're eating up their time, which they could otherwise be doing other things. So, yeah, maybe they take a bigger jump than, than uh, you would normally expect next year. Um, at least that's what I'll hope. For sure. Um, Ryan, if, if you don't mind, we'd like to transition to football here. Um, obviously, it's been, you know, an, an all-time year for Clemson football. And 
you wrote about just putting this into perspective and savoring this. We also heard that from um, our guest recently, Stephen Godfrey, more from a national perspective. Um, he probably took the stance that Clemson is not often in this position, and he's right. Um, how is how has this year been for you guys as a site on shaking the Southland? I mean, it's been it's been a lot more fun. It's it's a lot more fun to write about uh, about winning and lofty expectations and savoring the moment and why we're more talented than Oklahoma and, and all these sorts of fun things. than, you know, we lost to South Carolina again or South Carolina beat Georgia. We're we're in deep trouble. It's just a blast. I mean, our, our viewership's up a bit, but uh, it's just more fun. Yeah. Have you felt um, any of your, I know you've, you've definitely led the charge on the site from a Q&A standpoint, and that's definitely my, my personal favorite segment. Um, you've obviously, you guys have tested out some different kind of content approaches as well. Anything stand out for you this year as being particularly fun or successful or um, that you've enjoyed? Um. You know, I, I, I love doing the uh, ACC power rankings, but it was more that that was particularly fun because we were ahead of Florida State, and I'm always hesitant to put us ahead of Florida State. So that that made that more fun than it usually is. Um, the Q and A's are probably my favorite to actually write because you're writing to an audience that doesn't know much about Clemson. So when you're having a special season, you could you can kind of tell people like this is really special for us. This you know X Y Z players are really outstanding, and we're really proud of them. And you know. It's, it sounds silly, but you know, like these are kids and this is a community that if, if you went to school there, you kind of feel like you're still part of the community. So there's a lot of pride in that. So that makes it a lot of fun. Oh, definitely, man. So I'm, I'm looking at Oklahoma. We saw um, your, one of your most recent articles about the star ratings uh, between, you know, coming into uh, in terms of like recruiting for Clemson versus Oklahoma. And, you know, we're a little bit more talented um, and that holds true. I think I, you have to remind me if they're experienced, if we're kind of neck and neck there, I believe, right? Uh, we're just marginally more experienced. Okay. Well, let me let me pull it up. No, yeah, we're we're a bit more experienced and we're a bit more talented. Probably about equally so in each. Well, I, I don't know how much you've looked into Oklahoma. How much do you feel like that holds true? Just from like the eye test when you watch Oklahoma versus Clemson. Um, I've only seen uh, bits and pieces. I, I watched them destroy Oklahoma State, so it's hard to uh, <laughs> say too much. They looked real good in that game. Yeah, and, and I think you know we're going to preview it more in depth. It, it seems like they're they're a better team than what we faced last year. Um, definitely from like the bowl game where we, we blew them out. But I, I, the more time that goes by, the more confident we feel. Uh, I think the talent that star rating, which you know you you could say that's from high school ratings, but I think it holds true. You know, from position group to position group, I feel like we're we're better than than they are in several different areas. Um, granted, they've got a great quarterback, great running game, all of these things. Um, I don't think we've asked you. Are you are you going to be at the game? I won't be at the Orange Bowl. I'm uh, I'm lining up my tickets now and plane tickets for Phoenix if if we are to go. Yeah, we will see you there. Um, <laughs> we're planning either either flights ourselves or there's talk of uh, renting an RV driving down from the Bay Area um, to Phoenix. But neither of us will be down there in Miami either. Um, so in terms of what little or what study you've done about Oklahoma. Um, and just what you've read up, what should give Clemson fans the most pause as we gear up for this game? Like, what what are you looking at as an area that they could expose Clemson, or you know, that we're gonna have a tough time shutting down? You know, I don't know what created this uh, this bias or this assumption, but kind of like what you'd expect out of the old Nebraska teams, I just kind of assumed they had kind of like hogs on the offensive line, and we were gonna best them on skill position talent. So when I did the uh, the lineup analysis, 
I was surprised. They had, I think, I want to say three different four-star wide receivers listed on their uh, on their lineup, and then they have a four-star running back. I mean, that's a ton of skill position talent. Usually, I'm thinking we're going to have the skill position advantage, um, and then maybe we'll have the disadvantage on the offensive line, but it was, it was the opposite, and that really surprised me. Yeah, I think that's somewhat reflective of the way they've had to go be playing in that Big 12, um, you know, playing a little bit more of the old school Big 12, um, you know, win it in the in the trenches kind of game, game style doesn't play anymore. Um, I think Godfrey put it best. They got a lot more Baylor this year with yeah. outside game with, you know, not quite an air raid offense, probably air raid light um, bringing in their new offensive system. Uh, so, yeah, that's definitely something that, you know, we're, we're going to look at. Um, one thing that I keep touching on is Clemson really hasn't played with, with too much of a deficit all year. And that's something that Oklahoma definitely has a skill position. Certainly we know about special teams. We could find ourselves in a bit of a hole early. Um, do you feel confident in our offensive coordinators judgment, you know, ability to adjust um, if we were to play with a deficit to come back? You know, I'm hesitant to say yes, but you know, all the evidence we have through uh, 13 games says that we should be. So you know, I suppose I am. Um, I, I didn't expect the offensive play calling to be quite as good as last year, and I feel like they're they're a little bit less stubborn. And that's not a knock on Chad Morris, who I love, and you know, I'm very grateful for. You know, he he built a lot of this program, um, but I, I think you saw against Boston College it was great run defense, so they took shots deep. And then in, you know, most of the other games they were committed to the run. Um, so it seems like they're willing to attack weak spots, and that you know they're not they're not adamant that this is a passing team. We're going to pass the ball, or this is a running team. We're going to run the ball. This is a winning team and they're going to do what they need to do to win. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I should be confident just based on what I've seen through these games so far. Yeah. Clemson's found a way to win ugly, a way to win big way to win on the ground, way to win through the air, way to win with defense. Um, so I do think we're a fungible team and we're able to find what's necessary, make adjustments mid game, both defensively and offensively. Um, you point to the Notre Dame game. We were able to shut down CJ Procise. Mac was able to contain Will Fuller. Um, so across the board, I think we can we can pinpoint their strengths and go after it. Um, but I think for us, one one big aspect is on defense, um, us getting our health back and giving guys like Ben Bulware um, rest and ability to regroup and hopefully come back to his once aggressive self. Um, so I think that's something that's going to be critical here because they can beat you. Baker Mayfield's got legs, as we know. And um, we've seen from NC State, even from Syracuse, a running quarterback can give us fits. Um, we were able to contain Marquise Williams, though. So do you feel like the North Carolina game gives you a special type of confidence coming into this one? I, I don't know that the North Carolina game specifically gives me a lot of confidence. And, you know, I'm surprised all the talk of, you know, not having a bye week in so long has worn them out. I, I think it's really just that they don't have a lot of depth and the starters are uh, are taking a lot of snaps and playing deep into games. And, you know, as they get tired, the games stay close. So they, um, they stay in the game longer. So then they're more tired for the next game. It's like a vicious cycle. So, um, you know, I'm hearing all these players talk about how tired they were and I, I guess I'm kind of buying it. So, so that's, what's, what's keeping me confident. I think I saw an article about how Ben Bulware was banged up and tired. And I think our, Jerron Kirst said something similar. So I think I'm buying that and, that, and that's kind of fueling a little bit of confidence for me. Yeah, I, I'm with you because, I, frankly, I, you don't see coaches, players led on to like you know, injuries and the and the fatigue, the the long year like really dragging them down. But this team has been very uh, vocal about it. From Jaron Curse to Ben Bower saying, 
hey, these injuries, this this like long schedule, 10 games straight has really drug us down. We're, we're tired. And I think the performance is, you know, it's been a reflection of that. So I, I really look for a fired up, inspired team. Bullware is going to have two arms. That's great. Um, I just maybe, maybe one last question about football and uh, maybe we can wrap up, but like we've seen a lot of different coaching hires across the ACC and it seems like we've outdone the eight, the SEC, which is always a great sign. But what do you think is the most impressive hire? And what do you think this means for the ACC over the next, what, four, five years in terms of the hires that have, that were made recently? Yeah, no, great question. Um, I had uh, months and months ago when, uh, as soon as Al Golden got, got fired, I'd written an article and, and I threw Mark Rick's name on there. It's kind of like a, you know, if, you know, Georgia Tech beats Georgia and Auburn beats Georgia, maybe he'll get fired. And then I think he would really go there. I was surprised when he actually got fired. Um, but then once he did, I really figured he would go to Miami. I think that's a, an unbelievable hire. Um, I'm excited for what he could do for the culture down there. You know, he's, he was, he was a quarterback there, I think a backup. So it's not like he's a total outsider coming in, but by all accounts, he's a good dude. He's a, he's a good Christian. And, and I'm hopeful that, uh, that he can kind of make that program, you know, win, except when they play us and, you know, not be constantly in trouble and the whole bad boy thing. I, I can't take it. So I think the Miami could start getting back, not to the old days, but to be very competitive. And then I thought the Fuente hire for Virginia tech was a strong one. Um, and I don't know if that's going to be an immediate turnaround um, like it was for Florida State when, when Jimbo took over, but they should certainly get better. So if you have both of them playing well, and then if UNC could stay competitive, suddenly the ACC is looking really good. I think there's a handful. I think if you look at the top tier of the ACC, you know, there's like three or four teams, accounting Notre Dame, that you could say would be the best in the SEC, save, save Alabama. So I, I think we're really emerging now, which, is, which I suppose is good. Yeah, I think we've been waiting for the Coastal to hold up their end of the bargain a bit, um, just in terms of the the top of that of that uh, division. I would say maybe top to bottom, they were actually better than the Atlantic uh, when it comes to we've got the Syracuse and Wake Forest of the world um, bringing down the, the the back of the train a bit. But um, I think that is where that is what the SEC does enjoy is the benefit of the doubt, even in the West where the above average teams they do beat up on each other and when that happens it's known as like a that's a quality win or yeah you lost but you might have lost to a pretty good team and i, I think that's what the acc is going to have to get to is you know you've got a miami or a competent virginia tech team um i'm actually i i think Pitt is going to continue to stick around and and linger in the next couple of years it'll be interesting to see how the likes of duke and georgia tech you know if those if those programs are still um, in the upper tier of the coastal with those other hires coming in. So I think, I think a big difference, if you look at like a Mississippi state and an NC state who play, I think in the belt bowl this year, I mean, I I'm picking uh, Mississippi state with a lot of confidence, but they're really about in the same tier as far as where they sit in the conference. I think that's what makes the SEC still the best conference. Cause if you look at the best teams in each conference, I, I don't know where that there's no argument there for the SEC. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's more the, the middle tier, the kind of middle class. Um, where they they probably do have, they get an edge and a lot of it's hype as well i mean how many sec teams were i think there were seven teams ranked at one point in the first three to four weeks um which we we know is all all crap so um yeah i, I think the hiring has definitely helped the acc bridge the gap a bit um I, I don't i'm not ultra impressed with any of the sec hires um for their openings but that being said do you have any parting thoughts on will muschamp 
You know, uh, I really enjoyed your uh, your previous podcast, and I, and I thought that some of the points um, Godfrey made about Muschamp, you know, not quite writing him off, were were pretty pretty convel- uh, compelling and convincing. Um, do I think you know they're going to be a, a national power, win ten games every year? No, but I, I don't necessarily think they're going to be a three win team. I think he could, especially if they really pick up the recruiting, they could be a thorn in our side. Not not necessarily that they're going to beat us all the time, but. I don't think they're just going to be an easy out. Um, and frankly, I, I don't know that we want them to be. I, I think having a decent rivalry game is an okay thing. Yeah, and for them, I wonder for South Carolina fans also, like what what does success look like for them? What does failure look like for them too? It's going to have a different calculus than, than Florida and probably Auburn also. Um, so, you know, if he's able to come in and within two years get them back to seven, eight wins, that's probably successful. Um, and I do think he's capable of that, depending on their scheduling and how the SEC East goes. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be a little weird for them, you know, as, as successful as they were, especially during that that what was a four year span there, um, winning the SEC East once. I think they won eleven games. Are they going to be at the point where you know you go eight and four and then you win your bowl game, you get that ninth win? Are they going to be happy, or are they just not going to be able to enjoy football anymore? Because I, I don't see them getting all the way back to that. I think they can get eight, nine wins, but I don't see them hardly ever getting to 10, 11, 12 wins again. Yeah, I think for their fans, it's going to matter what Alabama does, um, what the rest of the SEC does, so they can they can cheer them on. <laughs> uh, uh, one, one question for you. I'm, I'm curious what you guys think of Bronco Mendenhall. I know he's a, a little, you know, he's at, he was out west, so maybe you have a better take than I do. Um, I think earlier on this year, we saw BYU, um, by virtue of some of their late minute heroics, Hail Mary wins, um, come back and beat some teams like Nebraska. Um, yeah, I think he he did a lot with the type of players he's able to recruit to BYU. The reputation there is always those guys go on a mission trip um, right out of high school and they'll come back. So he gets the benefit of potentially older, more developed players physically. Uh, but that said, you know, um, you know they kind of fit a certain profile. So uh, I think it's still a wild card hire for Virginia. Um, I'm not sure culturally what the fit looks like there, but um, BYU seems to always overachieve or you know come up in a in a rare spot and challenge a much much bigger school and a bigger name. So um, you know I I think probably moving on from Mike London was the right call. Um, I don't have a strong take on like oh man Broncos a great fit for them or um, you know we don't watch a ton of BYU out here, but they do tend to play some Pac-12 schools so. Um, anyway, I've you know, been mostly impressed um, with what they've done this year, and I'm not surprised that he moved on to greener pastures, I guess. Uh, well, Ryan, I guess in, for a parting question here, um, let's wrap it up with the Orange Bowl, kind of top of mind for everybody here. It's coming up um, in about 10 to 15 days. Um, if I could grant you one wish over over that game, you know, if you could pick one aspect of the game to go right, to go in the Tigers' favor, um, other than outcome, and let me take away the turnover battle because that's kind of an easy one. But um, if you could pick one thing that goes right for Clemson, what would it be? And if you could kind of riff on that for a bit. Well, I definitely would have went with the turnover battle. But I think aside from that, I would say the field position game. I saw some advanced stats. Um, I don't remember if it was a comparison between – yeah, I think it was a comparison between Clemson and Oklahoma. And we had an advantage in a handful of areas but we had a tremendous disadvantage in the field position game. Uh, and we've obviously overcome it in every game um, to this point, but if we can, if we can put ourselves in, in a better position and not have to go on very, very long drives to score and not put our defense in position where they have to 
play it against a short field, I'd feel really good about our game because I think I think our line play is superior to theirs. Yeah, that's definitely something where our special teams comes comes into account from a um, kick coverage standpoint, punt returns, you know, both both sides. Any any confidence? I mean, it's been our our axe to grind all season about special teams um, leaving us a bit exposed. Um, do you think you know this this lull, this time off, is going to help our coaching staff find the key? Um, I, I would just imagine we're just going to be very conservative, and I guess that's fine. But uh, fair catch and kneel it whenever it's in the end zone and returns to the twenty, and and, that, and that's fine. I, yeah. I guess it is what it is. Yeah, and as much about rich, um, field position as well as success on drives on both sides of the ball. You know, we were a great three um, three and out team. We we're a great tackle for loss and third down efficiency defense. Um, so let's hope that continues against a tough OU team. Um, next week anything else cody yeah i was just say I, I hope everything works out ryan so we can see you uh at the national championship game not in just a few i guess yeah a few weeks from now yeah hopefully i'll be meeting you in person very shortly indeed well thanks again for the time ryan um appreciate all that you guys do um on shaking the southland appreciate you guys putting us on this year and um keep up the good work thanks appreciate it thanks for the invite thanks a lot guys for tuning into this week's podcast um Really want to thank Ryan Cantor for coming on and um, hope you all enjoyed our season recap and our recruiting update. Just a reminder that we're going to be welcoming uh, Quacking Tiger later on in the week, um, as well as looking looking ahead at um, some guests coming on from Oklahoma, from their fan base, um, and doing our final Orange Bowl preview show. So make sure you, you're subscribed to the podcast uh, via your favorite podcasting app um, or check us out on SoundCloud.com and go Tigers.